The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Quarterly Updates, where our active portfolio managers share their thoughts on markets and their funds. My name is Scott Sample. I'm an investment strategist here at Natixis, and today I'm here with Lee Rosenbaum, core portfolio manager of the Loomis Sales Global Allocation Fund. The fund itself has posted strong annualized returns over the past 5, 10, and 15-year periods, ranking within at least the top quartile of Morningstar's world allocation category over that time frame. So, Lee, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you, Scott. So to kick things off, well, Q4 had its share of share of volatility after three consecutive down quarters for markets in 2022. We got some reprieve in the final quarter. Can you maybe walk us through, first and foremost, the top contributors and detractors over that final quarter of the year? Absolutely. In equities, our top contributors were ASML and Lindy. ASML is a leader in photolithography. This is the process in which a light source is used to etch patterns uh, onto silicon wafers. The company is uniquely positioned in extreme ultraviolet. Uh, This is the next generation technology, uh, which is needed for chip makers to continue to make smaller and smaller uh, chips while maintaining uh, or improving power. And the shares rose after the company announced higher 2025 financial targets and introduced firmer targets uh, going out to 2030. ASML uh, believes, uh, and we, we think so as well, that they have sufficient backlog to offset some of the softening semiconductor environment that we're all observing right now. Shares of Lindy, one of the largest industrial gas companies globally, also outperformed over the period. The company's industrial gases are used across industries from high purity gases in semiconductor production to natural gas liquefaction plants in the energy sector. Industrial gases are really critical products in many applications, and this uh, helps drive their pricing power. On the fixed income side, corporate credit allocation to consumer non-cyclical and cyclical, uh, as well as sovereign sectors were significant contributors. Within consumer non-cyclical, biotech companies, Biomarin and Teva Pharmaceuticals significantly outperformed. And in consumer cyclical, Uber outperformed after the company reported strong earnings. Within the sovereign sector, holdings in South African and Turkish Yankee bonds contributed to performance. And um, on the currency allocation side, uh, this was also a contributor to performance with specifically allocations to the euro and Japanese yen as primary contributors. These currencies strengthened against the U.S. dollar during the period. On the negative side of the ledger, uh, within equities, Amazon and Airbnb were the largest detractors. Amazon lagged following its third quarter earnings, revenue growth slowed, and margins declined in its cloud business more than we anticipated as enterprise demand softened. We believe Amazon's efforts to help their customers manage costs in the current economic environment continues to build customer loyalty and we think this is going to benefit the company longer term. We would also note that within AWS, the backlog does continue to grow at a robust pace. Airbnb lagged as a more challenging economic uh, set of conditions cast some doubt on the health of the consumer. 
Fundamentally, though, Airbnb continues to gain market share. Um, they have uh, good supply growth, um, average daily rate uh, growth, and they're also showing strong operating leverage. Uh, so we believe the company has opportunities to grow its top line um, and as such continue to grow market share and offer users um, other ancillary travel services in um, related verticals such as the hotel market. Within fixed income being underweight duration positioning in Euro pay uh, detracted from performance due to rising yields in the Eurozone periphery countries, specifically in Italy and Spain. Awesome. Very helpful. Well, 2022 as a whole was probably a year that markets would rather soon forget. But widening the lens here a little bit, can you maybe walk us through the top contributors and detractors for the full year period as well? Absolutely. So looking back at 2022 overall in equities, the top contributors were Cummins and United Health Group. Cummins is a leading manufacturer of truck and machinery engines. For the first half of the year, the shares outperformed following Cummins quarterly earnings. Outside of China, demand was strong. North America saw improved pricing, higher volumes, and stronger aftermarket demand. Later in the period, Cummins outperformed on strong third quarter results um, that were reported by related companies, Packard and Daimler, uh, two of Cummins' largest customers. United Health Group is the largest managed care operator in the United States, and those shares outperformed um, given the company's traditional health insurance business continuing to demonstrate strong execution. This was highlighted by continu continued positive enrollment trends uh, in both Medicare Advantage and uh, their commercial segments, as well as better than expected medical costs. There's also been progress at Optum Care, uh, the um, primary and urgent care centers as well, um, with a number of the patients now under full value-based care agreements. Um, and this contribution uh, within Optum continues to rise significantly. In fixed income, being underweight, yield curve duration and positioning within the Euro and British pound sterling pay markets contributed to performance. Specific security selection in consumer cyclical and consumer non-cyclical sectors also contributed to performance. Again, holdings uh, including Uber and Biomarin that were mentioned earlier uh, for the shorter time period were significant contributors for the year overall. On the equity side, um, again, Amazon and Airbnb discussed earlier were the largest detractors for the year. And on fixed income, while some security specific selections within consumer non-cyclical benefited from performance, overall corporate credit allocation to the sector detracted from returns. Within communications, Dish Network Corp weighed on performance reflecting strong secular decline of the company's satellite video business. Pharmaceuticals such as Bosch Health and Teladoc in the consumer non-cyclical sector detracted from performance due to political and pandemic headwinds, such as clinical capacity. Within finance companies uh, sector, holdings of Unifin detracted uh, as the Mexican leasing firm announced plans to restructure its debt. 
And lastly, currency allocations to euro and Japanese yen were primary detractors as the U.S. dollar strengthened against almost every other currency over the full year. Thanks, Lee. Very helpful. So now that we've recapped performance, maybe let's turn to the current portfolio allocation. What does the current allocation look like? And perhaps were there any major changes that are worth mentioning over the recent period? Yes, Scott, no changes to the allocation of the fund uh, in the fourth quarter. We continue to have a majority equity allocation of 68% with non-U.S. fixed income at 17.5% and U.S. fixed income rounding it out at 14.5%. That's great. And how about from a geographic perspective? What does the allocation look like on that front? Scott, the allocation continues to be driven by our bottom-up investment process. The fund held approximately 64% in North American securities, 21% in Europe, and 10% in emerging markets, with the remaining uh, 5% in developed Asia. Perfect. Well, let's turn to the individual securities then. Were there any new positions established during the quarter? And if so, is there any color that you'd care to provide on the new names? Absolutely. In equities, we started positions in uh, two new businesses, Schneider Electric and Nike. Schneider Electric designs and manufactures energy and automation digital solutions. Approximately half of Schneider's revenue comes from uh, what's called their digital flywheel, which is composed of connectable products, software and services, and edge computing products. Its services include on-site field support and life cycle asset management, and the company can really help its customers optimize performance and reduce costs by providing remote monitoring, predictive maintenance, and strategic asset management. And we think that Schneider continues to be well-positioned to benefit from a number of structural growth, growth drivers, including digitization, energy efficiency, reshoring, and electrification. Nike, a very well-known brand for its athletic footwear, apparel, equipment, accessories, and services. The company has the largest market share in a growing athletic sporting goods market and continues to gain market share across a number of categories. Nike has a strong ecosystem with over 300 million digital members via its website, retail app, Nike Running Club, Nike Training Club, and the Sneakers app. Um, All of this creates a large captive audience, which the company can leverage for building direct relationships with customers. We believe this ecosystem serves as one of the company's competitive advantages, as it cannot be easily replicated by competitors. And Nike's continuing to increase the control of its own distribution channels elevating the shopping experience with unique in-store and digital experiences. And all of these efforts, um, we believe, um, can continue to increase revenue and margins. On the fixed income side, we added uh, secondary issues of Vanovia. Uh, This is Germany's largest residential real estate company. We expect pressure on credit metrics and credit ratings. We think... um, However, we think that European real estate looks oversold. Real assets generally perform well in an inflationary environment, and landlords ought to be able to pass inflation on to tenants in the form of higher rents. Interesting. Sounds like some great allocations there. 
to fund any of the new positions? Did the team happen to sell any names over the period as well? To fund these new positions, Scott, um, we did make a few changes on the equity side. We eliminated our position in AIA, uh, Pan-Asian Life Insurance Company. We had concerns around the company's ability to grow intrinsic value, and this resulted in a less attractive valuation from our perspective. As the disruption of the pandemic has been receding, the recovery in new business at AIA has been disappointing, partly due to a shift, we believe, in customer preferences towards simpler products and away from more complex advice, um, which has driven a lot of the historical growth um, in products that AIA is known for specializing in. And on the fixed income side, we did reduce our allocation in Nordea Bank and our allocation in Dish Network to build in liquidity for the portfolio. Great. Very helpful. Well, it may be a new year, but markets and investors are surely still pretty hyper-focused on inflation and interest rates in 2023. So within the fixed income portfolio as a whole, I know you just mentioned a couple of names, but were there any significant changes to the sleeve that are worth mentioning heading into the new year? Yeah, great question, uh, Scott. Stepping back in um, non-U.S. fixed income, we have continued to sell our shorter government bond positions to buy higher yielding corporates in a variety of markets, including the Eurozone. While we are doing this slowly, as we expect the mix of higher inflation, tightening central banks and slowing growth to send corporate spreads wider uh, before the cycle turns, that is one uh, point worth mentioning. The other point worth mentioning is in U.S. fixed income, there really have been no major shifts in positioning. We're continuing to maintain slightly above average reserves, uh, short, high-quality instruments that give us the flexibility should opportunities arise, and we remain shorter duration than the index, although much less so than our position earlier in the year. That's great. Very helpful. Well, I know, obviously, the strategy here is driven by bottom-up fundamental analysis, but China's COVID pivot was a pretty notable event in Q4. So I guess I'm just curious if the policy shift had any meaningful impact on perhaps any of the holdings within the portfolio or maybe how the team is viewing emerging markets in general. Just more of maybe a high-level comment related to that question, Scott. You know, our view is that the the abandonment of China's zero-COVID policy Um, as we're observing, is leading to a spike in virus cases in the country. Uh, While mobility trends have held up thus far, it is possible that new supply chain challenges could arise, and we're anticipating the country will emerge from the current wave of infections late in the second quarter. But developments on this front remain an important near-term risk uh, for the market. So, you know, probably more of a high level comment than anything specific that we're doing within the strategy as it relates to China. That makes sense. Well, looking ahead to 2023, are there any opportunities within equities that maybe you're particularly excited about or that you're closely following? And similarly, within fixed income, are there any potential opportunities that the team's looking at on that front as well? Scott, on the equity side, we're finding opportunities in technology names really spanning from the semiconductor manufacturing and equipment side, also elsewhere uh, in technology within software and consulting companies. And we have select exposure to consumer names that we think 
are uniquely positioned with both, um, you know, strong brands, uh, direct to consumer opportunities. I mentioned Nike earlier, um, physical retailers. Um, for example, we have owned for some time now Home Depot and Costco, you know, all of which are offering a differentiated, um, you know, value to customers, um, you know, as well as uh, e-commerce related companies like Amazon, which we discussed earlier in the conversation. We've focused our healthcare exposure towards higher growth areas within the industry and away from those areas which we believe are exposed more to reimbursement risk. Um, so a number of the holdings have you know, been longtime holdings in the portfolio within healthcare. And then in financials, our holdings, um, we believe have leading market positions in retail and commercial banking, uh, as well as asset management and investment banking. So shifting over to the other side of the capital structure and fixed income, we're continuing to expect a mix of high inflation, tightening central banks and slowing growth to send corporate credit spreads wider before the current economic cycle turns. Despite interesting all-in yield in the investment grade credit area, we think patience and adding to the portfolio credit profiles um, over time will be rewarded. You know, we're in the middle of another bear market rally um, based off of current spread forecasts. In this downturn scenario, we, we would expect to see financial conditions continue to tighten and spreads to move wider. We have moved to broadly neutral in U.S. dollar duration, despite still owning few long bonds. This is because we really own a significant number of emerging market sovereign and corporate U.S. dollar credits. That's great. Well, I know the growth outlook is top of mind for a lot of investors in uh, 2023. Does the team have a base case view for GDP growth globally uh, in 2023? Right now, Scott, we think a recession is likely given yield curve inversion, you know, worrying leading economic indicators and continued policy tightening. However, you know, the timing and scale are uncertain, partly due to a tight labor market, you know, continued lagged pandemic recovery influences, savings levels, you know, all of which should provide, you know, at least a partial cushion against declining real incomes. Specific to the GDP growth outlook, the Loomis view is currently for U.S. GDP for the first three quarters of 2023 to be negative, then turning positive in the fourth quarter. And right now, the House view is kind of thumbing it out as something like negative 1.5% in the first, negative 2.2% in the second. Um, just shy of negative 1% in the third, and then a little over 1% growth in rounding out the fourth quarter of 2023. Very interesting. Well, I know you alluded to the strength of the U.S. dollar in 2022, and then, of course, we started to see it come off the boil in Q4. Is there any outlook on the dollar in 2023 that you might care to share? Yeah, I think at a high level, Scott, we're expecting inflation to be sticky um, and rising recession concerns to lead to another period of U.S. dollar strength in the near term. You know, if there's a downturn, um, we would expect safe haven flows to contribute to you know U.S. dollar strength as well. Got it. And I know you mentioned the stickiness of inflation. 
any more color there that you might care to provide, whether it's the trajectory for inflation or what the house view might be on uh, progress over 2023 or any additional thoughts on inflation that you'd like to uh, mention to the audience? You know, we think inflation is going to decelerate, Scott, with, you know, labor markets and demand taking a bit of a hit. But, you know, we're definitely acknowledging what appears to be stickiness in, in some stickiness in U.S. shelter and um, on the services side with prices, uh, which may, you know, prevent a real sharp rollover. Uh, pretty dynamic environment. Tough to tell, you know. A pinpoint estimate right now for CPI for 2023 is, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.6. Very helpful. Well, Lee, this has been enlightening. Really appreciate the time. Any final comments before we close things up? Scott, you know, we would just leave everyone with, you know, we we fully recognize 2022 was a tough year and the team continues to be hard at work, um, just as always. And our goal, you know, continues to be to deliver equity-like returns with you know, less risk and lower volatility over time. And, you know, we we believe we can continue to do this by investing, you know, only in our best ideas and equities and as well as using fixed income to drive alpha uh, on its own uh, and then allocating capital across the asset classes where we think um, we see the most attractive bottom-up opportunities. So appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for your time, and we look forward to doing this again next quarter. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for Loomis Sales Global Allocation Fund Class Y shares as of December 31st, 2022. Three months, 9.04. Year to date, minus 23.05. One year, minus 23.05. Three years, 0.51. Five years, 4.11. Ten years, 6.70. 30-day SEC yield. Y. Subsidized equals 1.55%. 30-day SEC yield. Y. Unsubsidized equals 1.55%. Unsubsidized 30-day SEC yield is calculated using the gross expenses of the fund. Gross expenses do not include any fee waivers or reimbursement. Performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee and not necessarily indicative of future results. Total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold. Current performance may be lower or higher than quoted. For most recent month-end performance, visit im.natixis.com. Performance for other share classes will be greater or less than shown based on differences in fees and sales charges. Performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized. Returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. Top 10 holdings for the Loomis Sales Global Allocation Fund as of December 31, 2022. ASML Holding NV, 3.09% of portfolio. Lint PLC, 2.99% of portfolio. MasterCard, Inc. Class A, 2.9%. 3% of portfolio, S&P Global, Inc., 2.93% of portfolio, Cummins, Inc., 2.79% of portfolio, Home Depot, Inc., the 2.73% of portfolio, Danaher Court, 2.67% of portfolio, LVMH Mo Tennessee Louis Vuitton SE, 2.61% of portfolio, Accenture PLC Class A, 2.60% of portfolio, Alphabet, Inc., Class A, 2.49% of portfolio, Gross and Net Expense Ratios for Class Y of the fund are 1.12% and 0.87%, respectively, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on January 31, 2023. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios and or yields may be the same. S&P 500 index is a widely recognized measure of U.S. stock market performance. It is an unmanaged index of 500 common stocks chosen for market size, liquidity, and industry group representation, among other factors. It also measures the performance of the large cap segment of the U.S. equities market, EBITDA, or earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, is a measure of a company's overall financial performance and is used as an alternative to net income in some circumstances. The European Central Bank, ECB, is the central bank responsible 
responsible for monetary policy of those European Union EU member countries which have adopted the euro currency. This region is known as the Eurozone and currently comprises 19 members. The Bank of England BOE is the central bank for the United Kingdom. Equity securities are volatile and can decline significantly in response to broad market and economic conditions. Fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate. As interest rates rise, bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than US securities due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Currency exchange rates between the US dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Credit quality reflects the highest credit rating assigned to individual holdings of the fund among Moody's, S&P or Fitch. Ratings are subject to change. The fund's shares are not rated by any rating agency and no credit rating for fund shares is implied. Bond credit ratings are measured on a scale that generally ranges from AAA, highest to D, lowest. Investment grade refers to bonds rated BBBB or higher. Ratings are determined by third-party rating agencies such as Standard & Poor's or Moody's and are an indication of a bond's credit quality. Research and development, R&D, includes activities that companies undertake to innovate and introduce new products and services. It is often the first stage in the development process. The goal is typically to take new products and services to market and add to the company's bottom line. Gross domestic product, GDP, is the total monetary or market value of all the finished goods and services produced within a country's borders in a specific time period. As a broad measure of overall domestic production, it functions as a comprehensive scorecard of a given country's economic health. Developed markets are countries with a high standard of living, a well-run stock market, and, mostly, free trade. Developed markets include most of Western Europe, Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, Japan, New Zealand, Singapore, and the United States. Emerging markets, EM, refers to financial markets of developing countries that are usually small and have short operating histories. Emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit and information risks than US or other developed market securities. ESG refers to environmental, social, and governance. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of January 20, 2023 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales & Company, LLC are affiliated. Attracts, 21007022201. Expiration date, April 30, 2023, POD 117, December, 2022.